Thank you for joining IRW Coffee Break. This is a podcast series hosted by KPMG IRW specialists within the Washington National Tax Practice to discuss current topics in the field of information reporting and withholding. Every episode will discuss a discrete area of interest in a brief segment. So we invite you to grab a cup of coffee or just get comfortable while we explore all things IRW. Welcome, I'm Danielle Nishida, and I'm joined today by Lori Hatton Boyd. When we first started off our IRW Coffee Break podcast series 14 episodes ago, we began by discussing the Biden administration's proposals for IRW legislation in 2021. As the year draws to a close, we thought we'd provide a summary of where we stand on the various IRW-related legislation. From an IRW perspective, the year has really been a flurry of new and proposed legislation impacting our industry. From crypto to enhanced reporting to portfolio interest, we've seen potential changes to law being discussed all year long. And with multiple versions of House and Senate bills being released for each act, each draft sometimes containing thousands of pages, it can be hard to keep up with where everything stands. So we thought we'd level set on the current state of all IRW legislation for the year. So to start us off, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act was signed into law in November, and this law included the new reporting provisions for crypto assets. We discussed the crypto provisions in detail on episode 12, so we're not going to spend time discussing that further today. But the crypto provisions were the primary IRW-related rules that were included in the Investment Infrastructure and Jobs Act. And so far this year, the crypto provisions are the only provisions that have been signed into law. Over the past weekend, we also saw the release of a draft of the Build Back Better bill from the Senate. This version is only the Senate's first draft. We've seen several versions of this in the House, and it is possible that we are going to see changes before this becomes law, if it ever does. And so I should caution you that whatever we're discussing next may change, but the three provisions that seem to impact IRW have not really seen any changes throughout the various House versions and now the Senate version. And so while anything is possible and any provision could be dropped by the time we get to the final bill, The consistency between each draft is telling. The first provision included in this act is a pretty big one for the IRW industry, and it includes proposed changes to portfolio interest. As a matter of background, in the case of an obligation issued by a corporation, portfolio interest does not apply for a payment made to a person who owns 10% or more of the total combined voting power of all classes of stock entitled to vote in that corporation. The BBB Act proposes to change that standard from merely a 10% voting threshold to now apply to any person who owns 10% or more of the total combined voting power of all classes of stock, or any person who owns 10% or more of the total value of such stock of such corporation. That would mean for any entities that have set up their structure so that they own greater than 10% of the value of a corporation, but have under the 10% threshold for voting so that they can take advantage of portfolio interest, these entities would now be excluded from portfolio interest. And this is a rule that is proposed to go into effect for all obligations issued after the enactment date of the act. So the fact that you've set up your structure before the rule changed happened doesn't grandfather you in for new obligations you issue after that date. And that is sort of a sneaky one. It may not impact a lot of taxpayers, but the ones that it does impact, it's going to impact them greatly. 
Yeah, another provision that's in that same bill that you were talking about, Danielle, uh, relates to 6050W, which is something that Kathy and I covered in a prior podcast. The bill has the backup withholding provisions that correlate to 6050W, and they made clear that it was $600 or more, and they also clarified that change for 6050W. So now the backup withholding provisions under 3406 and the 6050W rules both have the same $600 or more. One thing of benefit in this bill, if it's passed as it's currently drafted, is there is a transition relief for 2022. So Kathy and I had talked about that backup withholding being posed on that first dollar. And so it was very important that third-party settlement organizations have plans in place to get those W-9s right away. We do have a transition relief for 2022 that would require backup withholding when the payments by the third-party settlement organization to the participating payee were $600 or more and the transactions exceeded 200. So that should be really beneficial to the industry with that, to give them that additional year to get the tax ID that they need. And then the final proposed change that impacts our industry in the BBB Act is a change to the 871M rules with respect to partnership interest derivatives. And the proposal intends to treat notionable principal contract income calculated by reference to the U.S. source income or gain of all publicly traded partnerships, including those that are not engaged in a U.S. trade or business, as dividend equivalent amounts, which would be sourced based on the residence of the payor rather than the residence of the recipient. So as I said, it is possible that we'll see changes to these provisions, and it's possible they may not be signed into law, but it is important that you note them because these changes have been pretty consistent in each draft so far. Regarding the timing of the BBB Act, What we're hearing from Congress is that there's an intent to try to pass this bill before Christmas. So it is possible that even as this podcast is being released or within a couple weeks after that, that we will actually see a final version of this bill, but that remains to be seen. The Senate Finance Committee draft that was released over the weekend may still undergo additional changes before the bill is voted on by the Senate. Since the Senate appears to be modifying the version passed by the House, the House would also need to vote on the approved revised Senate version before the bill can be signed into law by President Biden. Therefore, there's a lot of work that would need to happen in a very short time if this bill is going to pass before the close of the year. There were also several provisions mentioned in the Biden Green Book that we haven't seen addressed in any final or proposed legislation so far this year. The most notable of these is the enhanced reporting provisions. Yeah, and that one was extremely contentious and it had a very high revenue offset. So we were really expecting to see it snuck into one of these provisions or one of these bills, but we haven't seen it. And that was the requirement that financial institutions would report the inflows and outflows of accounts over a certain dollar threshold. And there was a lot of commentary back and forth about what that threshold should have been. And again, very contentious. There was a couple bills from the Senate that were proposed that would prevent any bill from containing this language. There was also some letters to the Secretary of the Treasury saying this was illegal search and seizure and unconstitutional. I I don't know about that. I'm not a constitutional law expert, but that seems like a stretch. But anyways, we did expect to see this and it's not in there, at least so far. So I think financial institutions and the industry as a whole is, is relieved about that. But Lori, just because we haven't seen it so far, that doesn't mean that all is safe and that this proposal is completely dead, right? We could still see it popping up in legislation in the future. Absolutely. And given that large revenue offset, um, again, I'm surprised that we haven't seen it. I think a lot of people are. So it could definitely come up again. 
just like the 6050W proposal for the reduced threshold, that legislation was actually proposed several times before it actually was passed. So it could be something like that where we could see it even years down the road that it's in somebody's mind at this point. And speaking about proposals that keep propping up year after year, the one thing I would also note that we're not seeing is any reciprocal reporting for FATCA. That was proposed in the Biden Green Book that was included as part of the crypto provisions. And when that actually was passed into law, the reciprocal provisions that were specifically addressing looking through passive entities and getting reporting on the substantial owners, those were not included in the final legislation, nor was there any mention of any FACA reciprocity in that final legislation. Yeah, and I think that was something that was important or is important to Treasury. So that is something that we could see down the road. Two things I just wanted to cover real quickly that weren't as contentious. In fact, we didn't see any commentary on them. One was the requirement for the Form 1042 to be filed electronically. We had proposed regulations back in July that once finalized will require financial institutions to file their Forms 1042 electronically, but not for the non-financials. We just didn't see that. And then the other one in the non-financial space was the requirement to obtain W-9s for all reportable payments. Currently, a W-9, so a 10 that needs to be certified, meaning under penalties of perjury, is only required for interest, dividends, patronage dividends, and proceeds from the sale of securities. So not for the non-financial payments, services, income, rents, royalties, things like that. And so it was a requirement that a W-9 would be required in all circumstances for these reportable payments. And we're just not seeing that either. And I have to say, I'm personally relieved not to see that one because I didn't see the benefit from the government side of getting a W-9 for these payments when historically the practice has been just to get a TIN. And we don't know that there's any problems being caused by just obtaining a TIN for these payments. Yeah, I've not been aware of non-financials having more B-notice items than the financial world. So yeah, like you, I was confused as to the significance of that. Okay, and the final thing that we saw in the Biden proposal that we have not seen in the legislation so far is the changes to carried interest. And as a reminder, carried interest, which is also known as profits interest or promote, refers to the share of profits that a general partner is provided as compensation for the services performed by the partner on behalf of the partnership. This historically has not been treated as FDAP income, even though it would appear to be compensation for services. And because of that, it falls out of the scope of withholding. However, the proposals that we saw in the Biden Green Book would seem to have made this income, at least for high income earners, be treated as potentially services income subject to withholding. So that would have been a big change for partnerships. But even though we did see some FAQs released on carried interest, we haven't seen this proposal go through so far. And so I think we have to look to 2022 to see if any of these provisions we've discussed are included in future guidance. But for now, they're not in the proposals being released by the Senate and the House. And with that, that concludes our current state of IRW legislation for 2021. Um, We will be doing a summary of all the other non-legislative changes addressed during the year in our next podcast. So please join us for that. Thank you so much for joining this episode of IRW Coffee Break. As always, please share any feedback you have using the feedback button on the podcast homepage. We hope you can join us soon.